Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right. Well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. As always, I am your host, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Today here in the clinic, we have some important topics to talk about. You know, there's so much going on in the world in terms of spirituality, in terms of politics, in terms of so many different things that it's very easy to get frustrated, to look out and feel like, man, everything's over. <clears throat> There's all nothing but badness around. And then all of a sudden, we got to get to this point where we realize I stopped taking care of myself. I stopped looking at myself. I stopped um, asking myself how I'm doing. And one of the important things that we need to consider is when we do that, what happens? You know, all of a sudden we get into this world where everything else might seem scary. Everything else might seem like it's overwhelming. And then we got to ask ourselves when it comes to mental health, spiritual health, why is there a stigma? And why do I equate the two? Well, there were a few interesting articles I was reading, you know, uh, in terms of mental health and stigma and what's going on. And I truly believe that we can equate this to a spiritual stigma as well. You know, in the mental health world, we talk about um, not knowing what it is, trying to understand what it is, having family members who are affected by mental health. But how many of us think about our spiritual health and the stigma of sin? You know, stigma just means that there's something taboo, something we can't talk about, something we might know that is going on, but we do not want to be associated with it at all. And I think that that can happen very easily when it comes to our spirituality. And we want to think that, oh, we're doing well. I just need to get closer to God. But we forget to stop and look at where is my spiritual health? You know, we talk about mental health, we talk about physical health, but where is my spiritual health? So let's look at our approach to mental health because it's something that can't be seen. Just like when we sin, when we're spiritually away from where we need to be, from that state of grace we're always talking about, we got to live in that state of grace. I think that there's a big similarity, and I think we need to look at this as Catholics because we need to not only develop our sense of mental health and what it means in terms of stigma, our loved ones, the public, who we work with, and our sense of spiritual health. I was thinking about this because I read this very, very interesting article uh, that just came out. Actually, uh, there were a couple of articles. I'm going to put a link to a few articles that we're going to talk about in the show. Um, but this one was pretty interesting because finally, the idea of mental health in the workplace is being addressed on a global level. And I saw two articles that were interesting. One of them says, time to address mental health issues in the workplace. UN agencies urge, so the United Nations is getting in on this. The other article that I saw was the World Health Organization calls for a new measure to tackle mental health issues at work. Now we start with that and we're gonna build on this, but let's see what's going on with work first of all, because really this is where we live most of our times, right? Eight hours a day at least uh, for most of us that we spend at work, we spend around people at work. Let's see what one of these articles say. We'll look at the one with the World Health Organization. And then as a, uh, later on in the show, we're gonna talk about why, why it's important to consider the stigma surrounding this. And what are the possible effects? Well, this is just the workplace, folks. Let's see, it says an estimated 12 billion workdays are lost annually due to depression and anxiety, costing the global economy nearly 
one trillion dollars and they're doing that in us dollars Remember, we're talking globally here but we're looking at us dollars two new publications which aim to address the issue are published today it's the world health organization guidelines on mental health at work and a derivative uh the who and the ilo policy brief so the guidelines on mental health at work recommend actions to tackle risks to mental health such as heavy workloads negative behaviors and other factors that create distress at work for the first time, the World Health Organization recommends manager training to build their capacity to prevent stressful work environments and respond to workers in distress. What's important about this? I think that's important about this is a lot of times we ask ourselves, is there nature versus nurture, right? All of a sudden we, ask, we say, gosh, a lot of people come to me and say, Dr. Sandoval, I've got a family member who is suffering from schizophrenia, from bipolar disorder, from depression, from anxiety. Should I worry? about my kids? Should I worry about, is this is this something that's heritable? Is this something that we're gonna pass on? And that's a great question. Some mental health issues are heritable. But then we gotta ask ourselves, what's the environment that we're in? We gotta ask ourselves about the nature. Uh, I'm sorry, the nature is our, our inheritance, the nurture. What are we doing in our environment? Can it cause mental health issues? And we gotta ask ourselves at work, What's our environment like? Let's read that paragraph again, because look at the big things that they want to tackle. It says they recommend actions to tackle risk to mental health, such as one, heavy workloads, and two, negative behaviors. These are things that are out of my control, really, when I go to work. I can't control somebody else's behavior. I can only control mine. I can't necessarily control the workload, uh, assuming that I'm doing my work. I'm doing it diligently. I'm trying to do whatever I can. But if you put more workload on somebody, then should be reasonable from the outside looking in, these things can cause a heavy burden. They can cause a heavy burden on us as human beings because this is what we've forgotten to think about when it comes to the workplace, when it comes to the workload. We weren't made to work. We were made to worship God. Work is supposed to help us as we move through the world as a tool to be productive, to make money, but we stop celebrating each other as children of God. And this, I think, has a huge impact on mental health. We're going to see another article on that as well. Um, but I think it has a huge impact on mental health. We always used to talk at work. We used to say, you know, people are willing to stay at a not the best job necessarily if they have a good boss and if they have good coworkers. Because I think we can take on every workload possible um, or we can take on any reasonable workload if we have a positive working environment. People are willing to leave a good job for poor managers, right? Or for a negative work environment. People are going to say, this isn't healthy. I can't work here if there's so much negativity. This is a big deal. This is a big deal for us because we got to ask ourselves, how much of my environment is affecting my mental health? A lot of people tell me, gosh, Dr. Sandoval, you know, I just feel so burdened. I feel so tired. I don't know what to do. People used to come to me in therapy all the time and say, I need stress relief. I need to be off for stress, you know, stress uh, work. Uh, I don't, my, my boss is too much, my manager is too much. I need to get some time off. Please, can you write me time off? Because this is way too much. I need stress relief. I need anxiety relief. This work is causing me problems. And I would have to tell people, I would say, Unfortunately, that's not a clinical diagnosis. It's not something that we have in the DSM. We don't say, yeah, you know, work environment stress, that's definitely a diagno diagnosable condition. It's something we might experience, but it's not something that uh, we diagnose. 
And this can be a very, very big burden. I think creating a positive work environment is the most important part that we can do uh, when it comes to our mental health. And how do we do that? Well, there's a few different things. One, we can decide, well, how do I want to come to work? What kind of attitude do I want to have coming to work? Is that enough? Um, can that be infectious? Yeah, I think that if we come with a positive attitude, it will translate to other people. I think that hopefully that works and we create a positive attitude, but I think that it would take the effort of every single person coming to work to create that positive attitude. Why? Because we got to decide, do I want to be here or not? And more than anything, do I appreciate the people I work with? You know, sometimes just a kind word, uh, looking over and just saying, you're doing a great job. I really like how you did that. You know, the way that you put that presentation together, that was pretty awesome. You know, something along those lines, whatever it is, that can lead to a huge impact that can have a huge repercussion on a very positive way, not only to the to the other person who we're giving a compliment to, give, put them in a good mood, but it puts us in a good mood. We're seeing positivity. We're looking for positivity. And I think that that's what this article is finding. Um, when it comes to our mental health, don't underestimate heavy workloads and a negative behavior how much of an impact that can have in our workplace. So this is what it says here, that World Health Organization published just June 2022, 1 billion people living with a mental disorder in 2019, 15% of working age adults experiencing mental disorder. Uh, work amplifies wider societal issues that negatively affect mental health, including discrimination and inequality. Bullying and psychological violence, also known as mobbing, is a key complaint of workplace harassment that has a negative impact on mental health. Yet, here's the key, yet discussing or disclosing mental health remains a taboo in work setting globally across the world. It's true, we're not allowed to discuss mental health issues. And you know what the saddest part about that is? Usually, if we're able to discuss them, if we're able to openly talk about something, we feel a lot of relief. You know, and sometimes the issue disappears. Sometimes it goes away because I'm, I was able to talk to somebody about it. They either gave me a kind word or gave me a perspective, a different perspective from what I had. And all of a sudden, I don't feel quite as bad. I don't feel uh, so down. I don't feel so upset or so anxious. Things look better, um, which is kind of cool, you know, if that can happen. But why such a taboo? Now, when I think about this, I think about this in the workplace, and a lot of people say, well, this is pretty obvious. Yeah, you know, this happens all the time. Uh, my work environment, I can't always choose it. This is my job. This is a career I chose. I can't really, you know, I can't really choose who I work around all the time. It's not like I can just quit my job and find another one. Uh, and it's true, you know, we have a lot of hurdles at work. The reality, the only thing that we can do is control how we approach the work environment. But when I think about this with our spiritual health, with it, which I think we don't talk about, there's no articles about this. There's nothing globally going on about our spiritual health and the idea of sin and its impact on our mental well-being and our physical well-being and on our soul. I think that there's a lot of stigma with sin too. You know, it's easy for us as Catholics to say, yeah, you know, I'm a sinner and I feel really bad about it. Or somebody else to say, yeah, I'm a sinner and I feel really bad about it. But is it always true that that's okay? Do we build each other up? You know, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about that because we have to have that kind of perspective for each other and for ourselves. And you'd be surprised how much of an impact our spiritual health has on our overall well-being on an everyday setting. We're going to talk more about that when we come back from the break.
All right. Welcome back, folks. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Today, we are talking about stigma. And obviously, when we say the word stigma, we think about our mental health and how we view people and how we uh, sometimes people who suffer from mental health might feel discriminated against or like they are not allowed to just speak on it or um, share what's going on in their lives. Because ultimately, society doesn't really accept the fact that there's mental health or doesn't like to deal with mental health or we know it's there, but it's somebody else's problem. And God forbid it be associated with us. That's the idea behind stigma. That's the word of stigma. Stigma means that it's taboo. It's something we don't talk about. It's something that might be there, but we don't want to uh, offend somebody or bring it up because it's just not a pleasant topic. Well, it's an interesting phenomenon, though, because if it's there, and we're talking about today in particular, these articles that came out about mental health in the workplace from the World Health Organization, the UN put out an article, and how we really want to focus on that now, how that's important, uh, because now we're looking, by bringing out these articles, what it tells me is we're finally looking at the person, right? We're looking at the person beyond mental health. We're saying, look, mental health exists. We have to deal with this. It's not fun to talk about, but it's something that we can improve. And it's something that if somebody suffers from mental health, we can help them out with. But listen to what the article says. The ob- the objective here, when we're talking about decreasing stigma and improving things in the workplace, is to support the prevention of mental health risks, protect and promote mental health at work, and support those with mental health conditions so they can participate and thrive at work. Now, these sound very like very positive things. I think it's great. I think I would agree with that 100%. We do need to promote this. But like I was saying before the break, how much of this do we actually translate into our spiritual lives and the spiritual world? What would that sound like? Well, if this says that our objective is to support the prevention of mental health risks, why wouldn't we say our objective as Christians is to support the prevention of sin, the prevention of falling away from God? So what we're really going to do is not only support the prevention of falling away from God, but to promote, right? The next part is to protect and promote getting closer to God, protect and promote grace, protect and promote uh, sanctifying grace among us, protect and promote uh, sacrifice for God, protect and promote uh, our spirituality. Why don't we say that as well, right? Because this is the important part. This is the part that we need to think about as Christians, as Catholics. Um, and And this sentence goes on to say, and support those with mental health conditions so they can participate and thrive at work. What would that sound like in the spiritual world? I would say, and support those suffering from addictions, from habitual sin, from, uh, you know, immorality, support them. Now, is that possible? Here's the question, because there's that stigma. If somebody comes out and says, gosh, you know, I, let's say you're talking to a guy, I'm just going to say, because it's generally guys and say, yeah, gosh, I tend to go to uh, really bad places. I go to to clubs where there's women there of ill repute and I go there and I, I try to either engage in intimacy or I see them, you know, remove their clothing, whatever it is. If somebody tells you that and you know that this is a, a, a condition of the soul, a spiritual condition, what do we do? We normally go away from that. Do we ever stop and say, gosh, it sounds like you're going through something. Do I look beyond the sin and look at the person and say, you're going through something there and how can we help you to improve your spiritual life, to get away from that. Is that possible? Is it, what, what can we do to support you so that when you are feeling that way, you, you're able to diverge your, your uh, thoughts, you're able to 
change your your habits you're able to change your those desires or fight those desires it sounds to me the same way as when we're talking about uh anxiety depression in the clinic and we tell people gosh well if you start feeling depressed what can you do you can go talk to somebody about that you can uh call you know make sure you take your medication make sure you're doing these things but notice that when we talk about depression or anxiety that way in the clinic we have to name it we have to come up to to the person and say or the person comes to us in clinic i should say and then they tell us look this is what i'm going through this is what i'm experiencing and then we have to name the condition i have to say you know you're either suffering from depression or anxiety or psychosis now we know what we're dealing with but let's support each other as a as a therapist as a psychiatrist don't tell people oh my goodness you're suffering from that uh you might go elsewhere no there's nowhere else to go you know i think it's the same thing in our spiritual life this is why confession there is actually a very smart psychological uh, component to confession where we actually have to go and name our sins right we name our sins and when we talk to the priest hopefully the priest acting as our spiritual doctor can say well what's going on in your life what's happening okay so you feel like you need to go and watch pornography all the time or you want to go do drugs all the time we need to get beyond that we need to see what's deeper and we not, need to not stigmatize that if we know somebody's suffering from that you know we look at it that way because society is going to tell you hey that's perfectly normal it's all good you know do you do you you do what you want to do there's nothing wrong with that you're celebrating the human body whatever it is you're you want to go do some drugs and it feels good we're in a feel-good society if it feels good go ahead in the spiritual world we say hang on a second just because it feels good doesn't mean it's it's good for you you know you can eat a whole cake by yourself and that might taste really good but boy that's not going to be good for you but do we have that support for each other do we have that support where we say hey you're going through something um you know it sounds like you're going through a heavy phase where you feel like you're sinning a lot and these might be some heavy sins or light sins you know there's no such thing as a light sin technically speaking yes we have venial sins and moral sins absolutely no question about that but the level of suffering somebody's going through somebody could be suffering a lot just from committing venial sins because they recognize how much that's keeping them from god but where is our support is there a whole lot of, so much stigma to sin that we aren't willing to lend a supporting hand that we aren't willing to uh, be there for the person or are we quick to condemn everybody without even looking at ourselves without recognizing hey i'm a sinner too you know this is the moment where um, you go to confession and all of a sudden we don't feel too good if a priest starts yelling at us or or chastising us or anything along those lines. Because at the end of the day, that moment of confession is really one penitent to another. Hey, Father, you've got this power that God gave you to forgive my sins. But the reality is we're both sinners sitting here, right? Can we support each other in that? Can we put our focus not on condemning the sinner, right? What do we say? We say, hate the sin, love the sinner. But a lot of times we're into the hate the sinner too. Can we get beyond that? Because this is where the spiritual health comes in. I equate this to the mental health. You know, the stigma comes from putting a label on a person and saying, boy, they are depression or they are anxiety. They personify this bad thing in the same way. I think in our, in our spiritual world, we think of people as personifying sin. That guy, yeah, you know, gosh, that guy's always watching pornography. He he is just bad. He is the sin. Or that woman, she's always gossiping. She is a gossip. Don't we say that all the time? Right? She is this, she is that, he is this, he is that. I think we need to get beyond that. We need to be able to see the person, and then we're gonna see the positivity. We're gonna see, gosh, you know, this is a child of God and they're going through something. I'm gonna pray for them. Is that possible? 
this is a person who's going through some mental illness. I'm going to see if there's anything I can do to support them and to help them. I can't fix it. I can't get in there and say, boy, I'm going to fix this for you. Even as a doctor, I can't fix it. You know, you're going to say, Dr. Sandoval, I'm going to come to you so that you can fix my problems. And I say, I can't fix your problems. I can give you professional advice. I might be able to prescribe you medication, depending on if you need it or not. I can recommend you go to therapy. But ultimately, the person, it's up to them to do the legwork. You know, and that might sound like, that sounds pretty cruel. It doesn't sound very supportive. What do you mean it's up to them? Why? What's the purpose of coming to you? The only reason you're coming to me is for professional advice and guidance, but I can't do much more for you than that. This is true of sin. If I can see somebody, if I meet somebody who is falling into habitual sin, uh, is not forgiving other people, that's a big sin. Not forgiving other people, that's a huge sin. One, because our Lord said, you have to forgive everybody no matter what. That's already a commandment in there in the New Testament. It might not be one of the Ten Commandments per se, uh, but it is love your neighbor as yourself, right? And our Lord said, you have to forgive 70 times 70. So by him saying that, by God saying that, that turns into a command for us. There's no way around it. But a lot of people aren't willing to do that, and that's a big sin. When do we see that, right? We, we take it as, as something normal. You know, we say, gosh, yeah, I'm, I have a hard time forgiving that person. Oh, yeah, that's rough. When I hear that, I think, whoa, that's a big one. How do I know that's a big one? Because when you work in deliverance ministry, you start to learn what's going to keep you uh, in a dark place, what's going to keep negative entities attracted to you. Unforgiveness, not willing to forgive somebody, that's a big one. That's a, that's a juicy one for the dark side. They're like, oh, this is this is a really nice one. Hold on to that because now you're giving me access to you, you know. And this is the important part to remember. If I'm having a hard time forgiving somebody, sometimes we say, oh, that's okay, you know. We turn into that society that says, oh, don't worry, that can be really hard. You'll work on it. Versus saying, hey, we need to work on this right now. You need to be able to let that go because you're really hurting yourself and you could be hurting those around you. Um, believe it or not, that's how it works. It's the same with the mental health. I think we need to take this approach with mental health, absolutely, because we need to build a culture. Uh, actually, there's a sentence here that talks about that in the article. It says, we need to invest to build a culture of prevention around mental health at work, reshape the work environment to stop stigma and social exclusion, and ensure employees with mental health conditions feel protected and supported. Do we do that? For anybody who's in a spiritual crisis as well, do we say, hey, we need to build a culture of prevention around sin at work and at home and everywhere we are. Reshape the spiritual environment to stop stigma and spiritual exclusion. And what I call spiritual exclusion is when we say, boy, that person's, yeah, they're a bad sinner. I don't know about that. I better get away from them um, and ensure that our fellow Christians, our fellow Catholics, our fellow human beings with, we can say this as mental health conditions, we could say sin conditions, feel protected and supported. It's not in our human nature to do that. Our human nature is broken right now. Our human nature, how do I know it's not in our human nature to do that? Because we see this time and again in the Bible. The one that the image that comes to mind right now is what? When they brought the lady, the woman who was found in adultery, and they brought her before Christ. And what do they want to do to her? They wanted to stone her. And they said, Lord, or they said, Jesus, you know, they talked to him and they said, teacher, she was found in adultery. The law says we need to stone her and we want to do this. We want to do this right now. We want to see blood. We think about that, right? When it comes to sin, we think about that when it comes to mental illness. This is the stigma. This person's got a problem. We don't want to be around him. We want to see this person get their just desserts, you know, whatever it is. They're psychotic. 
they're on the streets, they're hearing voices. We, they need to get into a jail or a hospital or something. We want to see what we don't want. This is a problem that we don't want for ourselves. Same way this woman was caught in adultery. This is a problem. We need to get the law in here and we need to take care of it. And what did Christ say? At that moment, I think what's going to be most important is to be able to say, hey, I got to take a look at myself because the first thing Christ said, he didn't say they were wrong. He didn't say, no, the law doesn't say that. He didn't say she doesn't deserve to be stoned. He probably said, look, yeah, you probably could stone her right now. But he said, all right, fair enough. That's what the law says. But now I want you to look in your hearts and I want you to look at yourself and say, hey, the first one among you who has no sin, throw the first stone. Whoever among you hasn't sinned, because it's easy for us to forget. It's easy to look out and say, yeah, look at that person, label that person, stigmatize that person, so we don't have to look at ourselves. And that can be challenging because it's not easy to look at ourselves. It's not easy to say, hey, I'm not perfect. You know, I've I've had issues, problems, things of that nature. Once we do that, though, we take a step back, look at ourselves and say, ah, yeah, you know, I've been there, or I've known somebody who's been there, or you're a human being. I can't just because the law says that I can't just I can't just kill you without first looking at the situation. This is where Christ says we need mercy. That's really what we're asking for here. Mercy in terms of the stigma of mental health. But I say we need to go beyond that and look at mercy in terms of our spiritual More after the break. All right, folks, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Today we are talking about stigma, stigma not just in mental health, but in our spiritual health and our spiritual world. One of the things that's interesting, the couple of articles that I was reading that came out um, with, from the World Health Organization and from the UN, obviously looking at mental health in the workplace on a global level, right? We're talking about stigma. We're talking about how can we improve people's mental health? And what I really like is that they're looking at the environment. They're saying, hey, you know what? There's things at work that are going to be detrimental to people's mental health, whether they suffer from an original mental health issue or not, such as over being overworked, having too much of a workload. That's obviously not going to be healthy for somebody's mental health. And the other thing is negative attitudes. How can we bring about positive attitudes in the workplace? Is that possible? You know, I think that these are very important issues. But like I said, we need to look at this from the perspective of how can we put this in play in our spiritual life as well? Because I think when it comes to our mental health, obviously, we say, hey, we got to do this. We got we to gotta talk about mental health. As a psychiatrist, I love talking about mental health. I love helping people to improve their mental health. But what we don't do enough and what we don't recognize is I think our mental health starts with our spiritual health. If we are spiritually healthy, we're going to not, not a whole lot's going to bother us. And we're going to be infectious to other people with a lot of positivity and a lot of grace. But we need to think about that. We need to think about what happens. Why is there so much stigma? Why is it so hard to get beyond the idea of <clears throat> mental health? You know, what's going on with that? And in the same way, like we were talking about before the break, you know, why is there so much stigma surrounding our spiritual health? The hard part with that is that people will stay in these states if they're not allowed to talk about it. And I think talking about it is the key. There's a different article. I'll put the link on for you. Um, it says, Howie Mandel, this is the title of the article, Howie Mandel, he's a very famous Hollywood comedian, actor, uh, host of different shows. Um, he weighs in on mental health and he says, stigma still lives strongly today. 
The article goes on to say, Mandela is partnering with others to address OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder, a chronic mental illness that he himself suffers from. And he says, no one is alone. That's going to be key right there. No one is alone. Let's look at what this article says. What does Howie Mandel talk about when it comes to mental health? <clears throat> he's saying he's talking about this right now because uh, he says ahead of National OCD Awareness Month in October, October is a national month for recognition of obsessive compulsive disorder, a comedian and mental health advocate Howie Mandel and a judge for America's Got Talent participated in a private virtual discussion this week, along with members of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI, to jumpstart a mental health conversation about a topic that impacts millions of Americans. <clears throat> so this program was part of the launch of a new mental health education book, You Are Not Alone, The NAMI Guide to Navigating Mental Health by Dr. Ken Duckworth, a psychiatrist. The conversation was aimed at educating others, removing the stigma and offering impactful ways that professionals, caregivers, and members of a larger community can turn personal experiences into fresh approaches to treatment since no one is alone, the organization shared with Fox News Digital in a statement. This is from the article. Here's the interesting part with that. You know, I like that. The idea of no one is alone. That is very, very important. And it's good to have that with the idea of mental health and removing stigma. Why? Because I think the article right here in this sentence, it says that removing the stigma and offering impactful ways that professionals, caregivers, and members of larger community can turn personal experience into fresh approaches to treatment. That's the key right there. This is where I say we can't shun each other. We can't push each other away, whether it be for mental health or spiritual health. You know, I don't talk so much about the physical aspect because when it comes to the physical health, we seem to be very, very sympathetic towards people overall. You know, somebody tells you that they have cancer, uh, even if they were smoking, yeah, we say, gosh, they shouldn't have smoked so much. You know, we hold them a little bit accountable for that, but man, cancer, that's terrible. Let's see what we can do to help them out. This is where you're at. We don't keep beating them over the head and telling them, you know, you shouldn't have smoked. Why were you, you know, smoking is what killed you. You know, you smoke. the person already has cancer. They're already in this situation. Why would I want to beat them over the head with that? We have to say, hey, now we look at the person and say, we got to beat this, right? Don't we give them a whole lot of support? And we say, yeah, this is eating you up on the inside, but we're going to beat this. Let's try to get your medication. Let's try to make you laugh. Let's try to get you to think positively. Really what we're trying to say is let's try to get you to feel human again, because this disease is eating you up and that's not part of our idea of a positive humanity, right? This is how we reach out to people when they're having physical health issues, something major like that. You know, somebody, let's say there's an athlete, football players are getting hurt all the time and they're out there on the field and they get hurt and something happens, they get paralyzed or something. We don't tell them, you know, you shouldn't have been playing football. Gosh, you know, you, you, it's your own fault. So we're going to stigmatize you. And now you're paralyzed because of that. Let's get away from them. No, we say, gosh, that was tough. You know, you were doing something that was passionate for you. Yeah, you knew there were risks involved, but um, you didn't go there for those risks. You weren't looking to get hurt that way. Um, but now let's let's help you out. Let's Let's get you to feel human again. Let's not focus on your paralysis. Let's focus on your humanity and make you laugh. Let's get you treatment so that you can feel better. Let's get you get beyond this that you're going on, that's going on in your life. Let's get beyond the physical, right? Do we do that for mental health and spiritual health as well? Do we ever say, gosh, you know, I know that the sin is eating you up inside. I know that tonight you might go sin again or tomorrow. I don't know what you're going to do, but let's get beyond that for this moment. Let's talk to you. Let's get you to feel human again. Let's get you to get back into a healthy state of 
soul, the spirituality, the state of grace. How are we going to get you there? Let's get beyond the sins. That's what we're hoping to do for mental health here when we're talking about not stigmatizing because it can be a very lonely place. I like this idea of you are not alone. But one of the keys that I found here was talking about the personal issues. Personal experiences can turn to fresh approaches to treatment. Now, how do we know that to be true? In mental health, yeah, when people share about their own mental health story, sometimes they say, wow, look at that. They Look at what they went through. Look at what they're experiencing. But isn't that what happens also when we hear people share their stories of sin? It depends, right? Sometimes we hear it and we're like, oh my God, they got to be in jail because it's breaking the law. It's disgusting. It's gross. True. There's some sins that, you know, are very hard to accept if somebody's a child abuser, if somebody does things along those lines. It's very hard to help somebody get past that and say, hey, let's get back to your humanity because the sin can be so heavy for us that even if the person seems to repent, as human beings, we have a hard time, um, you know, accepting that person as a human being, but we need to get beyond that. We need to say, hey, it's not, I'm not a God. I'm not one to judge. I, I, I can judge that sin and say that was not good at all. But am I willing to see the person as a human being again? That's what Christ is asking us to do. And that can be really hard to do. But that's what we're talking about here. How do we know that that's powerful when people share their stories and say, look, this is what I suffered from. I had to get beyond it. I'm ashamed of this. Because we look at the lives of the great saints, and none of them have ever said that they deserve sainthood. None of them have ever said, yes, I need to be a saint, or I should be a saint, or look at me, I um, you know, I have the stigmata, and that means that I'm great. No, they use whatever gifts God gave them to try to get other people closer to God and to focus solely on God and on making reparations for whatever sins they caused in their lives. How do we know that? Let's look at St. Augustine. He's one of the first ones who wrote the book of Confession, the Confessions. And right there, he lays out his life and says, I have not been perfect. This is where I was at in my life. Little did I know this was a search for God. But he lays out all his sins. And we look at him and we always say, he was a very sinful man, and yet he made it to God. It's easy to do that in retrospect. It's easy to do that when we're talking about a saint who knows he's made it. We know the end story. But what about for each of us when we look around at each other? Do we see each of us as saints already who are going to make it, who just need to overcome whatever we're going through? And offer that support to each other to say, look, I know you're going to be a saint someday. I Hopefully I'll be a saint someday, but I can't judge you. I can just support you in whatever you're going through. Because at some point, guess what, folks? I got to stand in that confession line too. And I would hope that somebody has that point of view that they can see my humanity and see beyond my brokenness and say, Dr. Sandoval, you are still the son of God, regardless of what you've done. Let's build you up. Let's find that humanity inside of you. This is what we hope to listen to from everybody. Well, let's see here. This conversation on mental health, on reducing stigma in the mental health world, the conversation was aimed at educating others, removing the stigma, and offering impactful ways that professionals, caregivers, and members of the larger community can turn personal experiences into fresh approaches to treatment. I like that line. That's why I read it again. Now, it says that this actor, Howie Mandel, said, it starts with the term mental. If you think of mental versus physical, mental has a negative connotation as opposed to the word physical. This is true. Didn't we just talk about that? Said if somebody has a physical illness, we're there to support them. We want to improve that body. We want to get them better because we look beyond the body at the person. I think it's a lot harder to look at the person beyond the mental health or the spiritual health because we equate the person with the mental health or the spiritual health. And I think that's how the Lord sees us. I think the Lord sees us beyond that. Who we are as people is beyond whatever our experience is here. We're going to find out who we really are when we make it to the pearly gates. 
that's when we're going to have life in abundance. Right now, we think, gosh, we're getting to know each other. I will be very curious to meet each other again, whoever I know here on this planet. I want to meet you again in heaven because I don't get to see who you really are right now. And you don't get to see who I really am. I'm curious to see who you are in the eyes of God because it's going to be so much bigger than I can even imagine. You know, we're so limited here by our humanity, by our brokenness, by the fact that we're not in a perfect place. We keep trying to make this place perfect, but the reality is let's get rid of the stigma. Look, whatever you're going through, let's make it to heaven. Let's get change that condition of the heart. Let's find Christ in each other. And when we get to heaven, boy, I'll be curious to see who you are, right? He added, um, as a child, if you referred to something as mental, it was never a positive. And people who did suffer from mental issues were traditionally removed from society and locked away. This is true, right? We just talked about that with a sinful woman. Now, we can say she wasn't removed from society and locked away. When they brought her before Christ, she was found in adultery. They threw her in front of Christ. But in a way, she was removed from society. She, she had the spotlight on her, and everybody was judging her. Everybody was looking at her. She was the one on the trial there, even though everybody else had sinned. And that's what Christ saw. And this is the way Christ sees us. He says, hey, every one of you has sinned. You might be judging each other, but ultimately I'm going to be the final judge and I'm going to judge you based on mercy. I think we are very good at separating each other, at isolating people who have either been publicly recognized as sinners, you know, or publicly recognized as having mental health issues. But what's the difference between them and myself? That their sins are publicly recognized and mine might not be. That's the biggest difference. It's not that the sin is not there. That's really what Christ saw. Christ said, hey, you're recognizing this woman's sins. It's a public sin now. Everybody knows she did this and everybody's judging her for this. But your sins are private and that's not fair. Guess what? Any of you who hasn't sinned, let's bring it out to the light. Mm, can't do that. More after the break. All right, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. And today we are talking about stigma, both mental health stigma, how to get rid of it, and spiritual health stigma. Because believe it or not, it's something we don't talk about, right? When we hear about sin, if somebody shares their sins, we want to hear conversion stories. We want to hear people say, gosh, I used to be a sinner, and now this is where I'm at. I'm following God. The reality is, as long as we're on this planet, some people are better at it than uh, you know, than others, but <clears throat> we're going to be sinning. And it's part of our human nature. Hopefully we get to the point where, like the great saints, uh, we do get to that point where we're not sinning anymore or our sins are venial or uh, only, and they're hopefully not of much impact. Um, but the reality is even the great saints were still having to go to confession, right? There's different ways that we can sin, um, no matter how close we're getting to God while we're still on this planet. Hopefully we can get to be sin-free, but the point of all this is we're all sinners. We're all in this together. We need to get to heaven and we need to find a way to do it without necessarily judging each other in a way that we condemn each other, but recognizing our faults and those of others in a very fair way, in a way that we say, hey, how can we build up um, the kingdom of God? How can we build each other up and get ourselves closer to God? I was reading this article uh, on Howie Mandel, famous Hollywood celebrity, uh, who's talking about and sharing his own struggles with mental health. He went on to say in the article, mental health is something we should all keep top of mind. We are all in this together. He said in the past, he's opened up about living with anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder for most of his life. And he said comedy helped him cope. I believe that. I believe laughter is great medicine. 
Last year, in an interview, he explained that although he's been open about his condition, about his OCD, he's never fully revealed how low he can get when his condition impacts him. Uh, in particular, he tends to worry about his wife, Terry, and their three adult kids, he said. Well, that's interesting because none of us can ever fully reveal how our conditions impact us. Other people will not understand. And a lot of us, we're not ever going to be able to fully reveal how our sins impact us because we are living in our own skin. All we can do is reveal that we have either physical health issues, mental health issues, spiritual health issues. However, this is where I need to support my fellow man and recognize that I might not never know how deeply this impacts that person, but can I be there with them as a fellow human being who says, I understand life is not perfect. I'm here with you. I'm just here with you to support you. I'm here to show you some compassion. I'm here to recognize that this can be really hard. And I hope, I have hope for you. I have faith in you that you will overcome this and that you will become closer to uh, Christ, that you will become closer to God. I have that faith in you regardless of where you are in life. This is the way, this is the way we treat our patients. Gosh, I have faith that regardless of how much this depression is affecting you, this anxiety is affecting you, that you will be able to overcome this and feel more like yourself. Because why? Why is this important? What happens if we don't do that? Well, this article, other article I came upon, which I thought was great, they were all in conjunction here. Listen to this title. Loneliness and unhappiness accelerate aging faster than smoking, shows a study. Why is this important? Because when we have stigma in our world, when we stigmatize people, when we don't recognize what's going on in our own lives, or when, when we can't sympathize with people, empathize with people, show compassion with people, whatever it is you want to say, ultimately what that means is, if I can't show that human connection to somebody else and recognize that at the end of the day, I'm not better than anybody else here on this planet, whatever people are going through, you know, I might be in a better physical place. I might be in a better, say, place with a job. I might be in a better place with a family as compared to other people based on societal standards. However, based on God's standards, I'm not better than anybody else, regardless of what's happening in my life. Just because somebody has, say, more money in their life or, or they're the richest person on the face of the planet, they're still going to have issues because at the end of the day, they still need to meet with God. Everybody's going to have some sort of burden to carry. Keep that in mind. A lot of times we feel that we carry our burdens alone. And that's why this article was important. When we have this stigma, you know, going on, I'm glad that the World Health Organization is recognizing we got to get rid of stigma and we got to address mental health issues in the workplace. I'm glad that celebrities like Howie Long or, um, excuse me, Howie Mandel, Howie Long's a football player, Howie Mandel um, is talking about mental health and saying, hey, this is what's going on in my life. That helps to reduce stigma. But we got to look at the effects of what happens when we don't reduce stigma. What happens if we don't make an effort to say, hey, you're okay, I'm okay, and we're going to be better together? Well, one of the things that happens is that it leads to loneliness and unhappiness. And like this article says, loneliness and unhappiness can affect and accelerate the aging faster than even smoking. That can be pretty tough. That can be pretty tough. Let's read this article. Aging is a natural life process that everyone experiences. However, the process is not always the same for everyone. Factors such as your medical history, lifestyle, and genetics can play an important role in what happens to your mind and body as you get older. For example, past research shows that smoking, diet, and stress accelerate biological aging. This is true, folks. 
This is true. There's no question around it. Now, researchers from Deep Longevity Limited, uh, based out of Hong Kong, have found evidence suggesting that a person's mental health affects aging just as much as physical health. It's like I always say, it's all connected. We're body, mind, and spirit. And guess what? If your mental health is going to affect your aging, just like same way your physical health does, why would your spiritual life not affect that as well? You know, it's interesting. People talk about living saints and people they've met. And regardless of their age, there was a certain youth about them. There was a certain beauty about them. You know, people talk about uh, Mother Teresa and she was walking this earth and now she is a saint. And what did people say about her? She had this incredible smile. She had this incredible energy about her. And we know that that was deeply rooted in her spirituality and being able to say, hey, you know, she never talked about her sins, but she, actually she talked about having to go to confession. She always talked about feeling the burden of her sins. She never, I don't know what her sins were in particular, um, but she did talk about going to confession. So obviously even like somebody like Mother Teresa is still struggling spiritually. And that's really what it comes down to. Recognizing our sins and feeling the burden of our sins, all that means is, hey, I'm feeling something that I need to get closer to God and I've got ob obstacles to overcome. The question is, do we stay in it or do we put up that spiritual fight to get closer to God? No different than mental health. Hey, I might have mental health issues, but I'm going to put up a fight. I'm going to start to make myself uh, feel better. I'm going to try to show, recognize that I'm greater than my condition. But this is important. This article, I think it was great. Uh, mental health affects aging as much as physical health. So let's look at this. It says, according to the lead study uh, author, uh, let's see, the main purpose of the study was to show people can improve their physical health by targeting their mental health. I dare say, yes, target your mental health. That's going to improve your physical health. But I believe we're going to improve your physical health by targeting your spiritual health as well. It says the impact of psychology on a person's biological age is an understudied subject due to scientific reductionism. This is true. We'll talk about scientific reductionism. But at the same time, I believe let's change that around and say, hey, the impact of somebody's spirituality on biological age is a definitely an understudied subject due to scientific reductionism. Listen to this quote. In the 20th century, scientific reductionism settled in practically every field of science, he explained. It did in biology. The organism consists of cells and molecules. So if we understand the molecules, we understand the organism. This has narrowed our view in many aspects. One such instance is the study of aging. Aging is a multifaceted phenomenon with social and economic components to it. But in biology, it is common to study it in, as much, in a much more narrow sense. Galkin stated there are studies that link the psychology of aging to its molecular manifestations, but not many. In other words, what this is saying is, when we delve deeper into what we as human beings, as flawed human beings called science, we start thinking that we start finding the answers to everything. Oh, it's not scientific. I can't find... Who decided that? We just, you know, science is really just, we're discovering what there is in the world around us. We're not creating the world around us. And I think as scientists, we fall into that flawed mental state of saying, hey, look at what I discovered. And really in our minds, we're substituting, look at what I created, which is not true at all. Only God, we're, we're just discovering what God created. It's the, the created world around us. And we're trying to figure out how the pieces fit how they can be manipulated, how they can be moved around, how God has given us permission to do that. What permission has God given us to manipulate the physical world around us? That's all really science is. And it's kind of cool. It can be kind of cool to say, hey, look at these molecules, look at these cells. Let's look at the finest, fine tooth comb, tiniest pieces of this. 
Well, Jesus told us God knows every last bit of your fiber, even he's counted every last hair on your head, meaning that in a way, God, reductionism isn't bad. It's just getting things to its most basic form. God knows every last little inch of you. God knows every last little cell of you, which also means that God knows the bigger picture of you. God knows everything about you. We need to start thinking of life in that way, of our spirituality in that way, where God knows every last little cell of our soul, of our spirituality, and he's going to see the bigger picture of us. This is how we're going to remove um, this impact, this, this stigma, because what's the impact of mental aging, of mental health on aging? Well, it says this. The aging clock is a statistical model that measures a person's biological age instead of their chronological age. In other words, you might be 60 years old, but your body has aged much further than that. It could be like 90 years old. To do this, an aging clock uses blood, genetic, and DNA testing to measure a person's biological aging pace, right? So we look at that. We look at the fact that things can age in a different way. Age is relative. Right? We have a chronological age, which tells me how many years you are here in life, but it doesn't tell me the years of wear and tear on your mental health, and it doesn't tell me the years of wear and tear on your spiritual health, on your soul. Right, The more we sin, the more our soul is going to age and not in a positive way. We want to have a youthful soul. Uh, the same way we want to have, you know, they, they always say um, age is, is just mental. It's, 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 this, it's in the mind. Your age is in the mind. Somebody can be much older. And how many times have we met somebody who's aging in their 70s, 80s, 90s, but have a very youthful view of the world, have not been tainted, do not feel heavy, um, are, are still discovering things, are excited to learn new things. How many times do we meet people like that and we say, wow, that's great. I hope I get to be like that when I'm their age. Well, guess what? I don't think they got to be that way when they were their age. I think they, that was a practice made. I think they were always like that and it just never got away. Now, there's a difference between being youthful and being immature as well. I think we have to have that maturity about us in order to reduce stigma because we also have to have had life experience to help understand other people. But here's the problem. What does this do for us? If we are not aging well mentally, if we are not aging well spiritually, we start to feel lonely and unhappy. And if we start to feel lonely and unhappy, we start to age much quicker. We get old much quicker. That's what stigma does. Remember I said it's isolating. Stigma is very isolating. We don't want to, we want to pretend that we are perfect, that our lives are perfect. We don't want to look at our own flaws when it comes to spiritual stigma, mental health stigma, right? And so what happens there? Anybody who does reveal that they have this, they get isolated, they get lonely and unhappy. And God forbid for that person, they start to age much quicker spiritually, mentally, physically. You know, there's a deterioration that take, can take place. But for us, that's not going to happen because as Christians, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take that step back and we're going to look at people and recognize them as children of God, regardless of where they are spiritually, mentally, or physically. And then we're going to recognize ourselves as such. Because when we start judging other people, we forget and we're actually putting ourselves in a higher place. And that's not the reality. We're all children of God. We can all break any stigma, mental or spiritual. Until next week, this is Dr. Louis Sandoval saying, keep it Catholic.